Well, please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Our sermon text for this morning will, he, will be Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. Hebrews 11 is probably the most known chapter in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's sometimes called the Hall of Faith uh, because it recounts uh, how God's people of old walked by faith, uh, keeping their eyes on the promises. Before we read Hebrews 11, let's pray together. Oh, our Father, we... We thank you, Father, for your promises. We thank you for uh, your love for us, your grace that is ours in Jesus, for the gift of your spirit, for the hope of the resurrection and the renewal of all things. And Father, we pray that you would come and speak to us now, that you would, that you would renew our minds, that you would open our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear and minds to grasp hearts to receive your grace offered to us in the gospel. And uh, we pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on us to that end, uh, that you would give me the words to say and give us the ears to hear, that you, would, that you would draw our hearts to you this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 1, verses 1 through 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What is faith? You know, sometimes people talk about faith in humanity or faith in progress or faith or lack thereof in the government or the legal system or the educational system. And in all of these cases, uh, faith is a belief in something, not just believing that it exists, but believing in the ideas which stand behind it, believing that it is right, believing that it will work and so on. It is in this sense that people talk about putting your faith in something, as if you will naturally believe in something. The question is just, in what do you believe? At the end of the day, what do you trust to come through? That, that's true in the big things and in the little. I mean, even right now, uh, I am trusting Zoom to get this message to you, right? We, we are trusting uh, this system to work. There is some uh, truth to this idea of faith. Faith is belief in. 
It is trusting that something, or rather someone, will come through in the end. Uh, faith is that, but it is also more than that. Faith in Scripture is a way of seeing. It requires my imagination to be engaged to see what is unseen, which the writer of Hebrews will say is of the essence of faith. Faith is a way of seeing. It is an orientation. And if we are to persevere in the Christian life, we must do so by such faith. Now, we need to persevere because the Christian life is hard. Uh, because life is hard, and becoming a Christian doesn't change that. It, it changes us, but not our circumstances. In fact, sometimes becoming a Christian makes life more difficult. We suddenly face rejection and ridicule for our faith. Suddenly, there are conflicts with our culture that weren't there before, or conflicts with family members that weren't there before, or we enter into a battle with our own sin that at times seems unwinnable. And so we begin to think, is it is it worth it? And so the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, uh, just a few verses before what we read, in chapter 10, verse 35, said, Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You see, he wants us to persevere in faith unto the reward. And chapter 11 is our encouragement to do just that, first by explanation and then by example. And so the, water, the, the writer wants us to encourage us. He wants to encourage us to live by faith. And to that end, this morning, he points us to faith's orientation, faith's action, faith's commendation, and faith's reward. So we'll look at those four things uh, one at a time. Faith's orientation, faith's action, faith's commendation, and faith's reward. First, faith's orientation. Uh, there, there are two ways of approaching life. Uh, the first is to live as if this age is all there is, to set one's mind on the flesh, as Paul puts it, to act as if the concerns of this present age are the only concerns that matter. This is the way that most of us live day by day, if we're honest, right? We get caught up in the problems of this age. We look to the solutions of this age. We hope in the betterment of this age. Everything is focused on life under the sun. What matters most is what we can see and taste and touch and hear and smell. We value people by how smart or strong or beautiful or rich or funny or well-connected they are. We are controlled by fear, fearing anything that can take away our health or security or happiness in the present. We live life trying to maneuver and manipulate and control our circumstances to make things go our way for our purposes. We walk by sight and set our minds on the flesh that is on the present age. And of course, it's easy to live this way, right? Sight brings certain realities to our mind. That The world presents itself to our five senses. It imposes itself upon us. And it calls for us to respond, to react, to, to deal with what we call reality. Scripture presents for us another way of being in the world. Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 
And in the same book, he says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Which, of course, implies that faith is a kind of sight. Paul says, We look to the things that are unseen. To look to what is unseen is the act of faith. Um, and by that, I don't mean that faith pretends that unseen things are real. I mean that faith sees what is unseen. Uh, listen to Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. He's praying for the Ephesians, and he prays that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See, we, we don't need the eyes of our flesh open. We need the eyes of our hearts opened. We need to learn to see with the eyes of faith. The, the great danger of man is not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. As some have said, spiritual blindness is a greater danger because when men are physically blind, they know it. Well, Jesus came to give sight to the blind, to open the eyes of our hearts, to enable us to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, faith is not then uh, empty speculation about invisible realities. Rather, it is taking God at his word. Uh, we see this in our text this morning in two places. First, in verse 3. The writer says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. How does the writer know that? Well, because he has read about it in the book of Genesis. In fact, half of this chapter is recounting things that happened in the book of Genesis. He's not making this stuff up. He is trusting God's word. Faith takes God at his word, and it believes in realities that are not seen. Noah did the same thing in verse 7. We read, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark. See, Noah took God at his word, even though he had no physical proof that what God foretold was going to happen. He believed God's word and acted upon it. Now, for the especially skeptical out there, uh, let me say this, right? This is actually the way that we do life all the time. And much of what we know is, is based on the testimony of others. And so, you know, you, you listen to the news and then you say to a friend, did you hear what happened today? And, and, they, and then you tell them and they respond, oh, how did you know? And, and you respond, well, I heard it on the news. Now, I realize nowadays that's a little like saying, I read it on the internet. But if you simply start thinking of all the things that you know that you yourself cannot prove, it will quickly become obvious how much we rely on the testimony of others. Now, you might legitimately respond, oh, but, but other people can prove those things. Okay, how do you know? You see, really very often the question is not, can I myself prove this, but can I trust the source of this information? And of course, when it comes to God's word, the writer of Hebrews says we can trust him. 
We can trust what God has said, and, and, and we can trust Him because He is faithful. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, just in the last chapter, the writer said, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. There is a, there's a maxim that is sometimes used in the business world uh, that the best predictor of future performance is past performance, right? And you can see this is, has a kind of common sense ring to it. And this is how you build trust with people, isn't it, right? By repeated faithfulness to your word. And once you have demonstrated that faithfulness, you have proven yourself faithful. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. And if we have any doubt of that, right, just, just look at the cross and the resurrection. We see numerous prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' work, and, and the, the resurrection was God being faithful to his promises to his people. He promised life to the righteous, and then comes a righteous one, Jesus, and his reward is life, just as God had promised. This is why the writer begins by saying in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. When we take God at his word, we are sure that that for which we hope will come about. God has promised he will do it. God has particularly spoken about things which we cannot see. And by that, uh, the text does not primarily mean things that are invisible by nature. Now, it can mean that. Uh, so, for example, the Bible speaks about the human soul. We cannot see the human soul, but we know that they exist in part because God says they do. Verse 3 can be taken this way, right? How do we know that the universe was made by God's word out of invisible things? Because God says so and God is faithful. And yet, if we were there uh, in the beginning, we could have watched it all happen. The, the, the creation of the world is not intrinsically invisible. It, it is invisible to us because we weren't there. And the same can be said for God's promises. Verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. They would be seen, but as yet they were not. God's promises will come about, but we do not yet see them. Psalm 8 promises that all things will be put under the feet of Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews understands it. In Hebrews 2, 8-9 says, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But, of course, every eye will see, just not yet. And so faith, right, by taking God at his word, by believing his promises, is oriented toward the future. Hence, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And at the same time, those future things are currently in heaven. Uh, Peter says, our inheritance is kept in heaven for us, which means that faith is oriented toward heaven as well, which is to say faith's orientation is both upward and forward. And Colossians 3 captures this dual perspective in Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, upward, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
forward in the future, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, the orientation of faith is to believe the word of God, especially the promises of God, and so set our minds on things above and things to come, upward and forward. And just consider with me for a moment why that is so difficult. Again, the stuff of this age presents itself to our senses non-stop. We are daily assaulted with the sights and the sounds and the smells of the present age. We don't have to bring them to mind. They, they force themselves on our mind from the moment we wake up in the morning. But not so with faith. Paul says in Colossians, seek the things that are above. And again, set your minds on things above. We can be passive in the exercise of sight, but we must be active in the exercise of faith. We must daily remind ourselves and one another to be oriented upward and forward, lest we be drawn into the present age and forget that there is more to life than what our own eyes can see. Well, that's faith's orientation, right? Upward and forward. Second, faith's action. Some people think of faith as essentially passive. I believe certain things and, well, that's that. And of course, faith is believing certain things, right? Above all else, it is believing in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It is setting your eyes on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, and waiting for things to come when Christ will return. But in the meantime, faith is incredibly active. You see, an orientation to things unseen is not, therefore, apathetic to things seen. Faith is not works, but faith always works. Faith always works itself out in time and space. And if you believe in the value of things above and things to come, that will shape the way I act here and now. Notice that the three people mentioned in our text this morning, their, their upward and forward orientation shaped their actions here and now so that their actions too end up being Godward along with their faith. So verse four, uh, we read, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now, Old Testament scholars debate just exactly uh, what made Abel's sacrifice better but if we just stick to the text in Genesis, I think it's actually fairly clear. Cain offered simply the fruit of the ground. Abel offered the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Uh, Cain could have brought the first fruits. That, that was something that was commanded in the Old Testament law to bring the first fruits, but he did not do that. Abel brought the best of the best, the fat por portions of the firstborn. And the point is, Abel, Abel gave his all. He gave his best. Faith does not relegate God to seconds. It doesn't give God leftovers. Rather, it gives God the best of our time and talents and treasures. Why is that? Because faith is oriented to a God of glory. And faith, keeping God in sight, recognizes the supreme value of God and the relative value of all creation. So what do you value above all else? That will shape your actions. That will shape the way you live. Abel, seeing the supreme value of the glory of God, offered to God the best of what he had. And second, you have Enoch, right? Enoch pleased God, or as the book of Genesis puts it, Enoch walked with God. And he, he did that by faith, as verse 6 tells us. 
And in Enoch, we see that faith is oriented toward God as a person, right? Abel's offering shows us God's value, but Enoch's walk shows us God's personhood, right? And that in two ways. Uh, the, the Hebrew of Genesis says Enoch walked with God. That's a personal thing, right? The, the picture is of two people walking side by side, doing life together. The Greek, though, of Genesis uh, picked up by the book of Hebrews, says Enoch pleased God. But, but that again demonstrates God's personhood. He was pleased with Enoch. So faith sees God as a person with whom you walk, not a power that you employ or a blind fate which you begrudgingly accept, but a person with whom you walk and whom you please. And finally, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark. And can you imagine, right, can you imagine building a boat in the desert? Uh, that, that only makes sense if he is taking God at his word. Otherwise, it's ludicrous. And surely some of Noah's contemporaries thought so. But Noah acted based off of the reality of the word of God. And so acting on faith means living in light of God's glory, walking with God as a person, and taking God at his word. Now, you, you know the challenge to this, right? We make decisions every day based on the data that we have at hand. Or as uh, Paul Tripp is fond of saying, we don't live based on the truth, but based on, off of our interpretation of the truth. And so if we look at the world as if this age is all there is, we will act to secure the goods of this world by the means this world has to offer us. Our lives will be filled with making sure this life works the way we want it to by the methods that are available to us. And I'm sure Cain right, could have given you a very logical reason for why he gave as he did. Maybe he had a big family after all, and who would feed his family if he gave his first fruits to God? Or maybe he was entertaining that evening and he had to put out a good spread to impress the neighbors. I don't know what it was, but when this life is all there is, our goal is to get the most out of this age by the methods of this age. And being distracted by walking with God or pleasing God, well, that just sounds like one more person to please. No, thank you. And building a boat when it's not even raining in the middle of the desert, what a waste of time. That doesn't seem like a sure bet, right? Why not spend my time getting ahead in this life rather than preparing for something that is statistically improbable at best? See, again, walking by faith and walking by sight are opposed to one another. Now, they're not quite equal opposites, of course. Uh, walking by physical sight, I have one set of data, what I can see with my eyes. Walking by faith, there's actually two, right? I understand and assess the seen things, but I do so in light of the unseen things. It's not that we don't take into account the needs, the realities, the opportunities of this age, but they are all interpreted in light of the age to come. They are not absolute. And so faith's orientation, right, is upward and forward, and faith's actions take that into account. God is a bigger reality in our decision-making process than money or reputation or happiness or anything else this present age has to offer us. That brings us to third, faith's commendation. About five times our writer mentions commendation in these seven verses. Now, commendation is, is praise. It, it is acknowledging something good about another commending that person. 
And there are probably two, at least two, options here for what our writer is talking about when he mentions commendation. And uh, both of them are true. I'm just not entirely sure which our writer means here. So the, the first option is that our writer, by using the phrase, commended as righteous in verse four is speaking about justification by faith, the doctrine that we call justification by faith using Paul's language. In verse two, the writer says, by faith, uh, the people of old received their commendation. And then in verse four, he says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And, and this view, if, if this language of commendation is about uh, justification by faith, God commending us for the, as righteous in Christ, uh, it has this to say for it. Uh, back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, uh, we are told that God had regard for Abel and his offering. It's not that God was pleased with his offering and so accepted Abel. It's really the other way around. God had regard for Abel and his offering. Now, Hebrews 11.4 doesn't say God commended Abel because of his offering, but by accepting it, which would be like uh, saying this, God demonstrated his acceptance of Abel by accepting his offering. And you see, according to Scripture, right, we, we are righteous and therefore accepted by God, not because of our works, but because of Jesus. We in ourselves are, are disobedient and guilty, but Jesus obeyed in our place, took our guilt, and offers us his standing as righteous before the Father. Our works are accepted by the Father because we are accepted, not the other way around. Hence, Noah is an heir of the righteousness that is by faith. Right? That righteousness is a gift. He is an heir, not an earner. Noah did not work for that righteousness. He received it as a gift, and that is true. And yet, the other way of taking these texts, however, which doesn't deny all of that, it doesn't deny any of it as theological truth, but it, it is a shade different in understanding what the writer is getting at, the other way uh, of taking these texts, however, is to see the commendation not as an equivalent of justification, but as uh, the recognition that in the end, our judgment will not be by works, but nevertheless, according to them. It's a distinction that theologians make, that we're not judged by works, but we're judged according to them. That, that is that our works demonstrate that we belong to Christ. Put differently, our works do not make us righteous, but they do demonstrate our righteousness in Christ. Or as James put it, we show our faith by our works, by living in light of the realities we confess. And one day, God will commend his children for the work that we do. We, we don't become God's children by our works. God does not save us because of our work. But for those who persevere in faith, trusting in the righteousness of Jesus, struggling to live however imperfectly according to unseen realities and not merely the seen ones, God will commend us on the last day. God will say on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. He will accept the work that we have done, not because it was sinless, not because it earns us a place in heaven, but on account of his son and for the glory of his son. 
he receives the works of those in his son. And that, that is an encouragement to keep going. God is pleased with your work for him. And uh, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it like this. It says, the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, God, looking upon them in his son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. God will one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. Your actions are pleasing to the Father. Now you might think, but I'm so messed up. I'm so broken. I'm so sinful. I fail so often. The baby steps of faith are pleasing to the Father. When, when a, and I realize there's a difference between the, the, uh, the, the moral action and moral failure and the physical action of a baby, but there is an analogy here, right? When a baby is learning to walk, parents don't chastise them when they fall down. They simply delight in whatever steps they take. When we walk by faith, the Father says, well done, keep going, good job, don't give up, keep trying, well done, good and faithful servant. And so faith's orientation is upward and forward. Faith's acts are, are based on those realities. And faith is commended by God as having pleased him as it does so. Well done, good and faithful servant. Keep going, persevere, don't give up. Fourth and finally, you have faith's reward. There is a reward to faith. And there are two ways of getting this wrong, of course, right? The one says you can earn God's favor, you can earn such rewards, and the other says, well, you can't earn God's favor, and so it doesn't matter what you do anyway. And it's true, you, you cannot earn God's favor. It is a gift in Christ, it is his grace. And yet it does matter what you do. There, there is a reward waiting for those who persevere in faith. And just consider some of the New Testament verses that talk about this. Matthew 6, verses three to four, Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Luke 6, 35, Jesus says, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Or in Hebrews, just the last chapter, 10, chapter 10, verse 35, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Or Hebrews 11:6 in our text, and without faith, it is impossible to please him forever. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The only way to please God, our writer says, is to believe that he rewards those who seek him. 
Now again, this is not a reward that we earn or deserve. Even our reward is a gift of grace. And, and it's not a fleshly reward, right? This is not a cash prize at the end of the Christian life. In fact, the reward is life with God. The prize is life in the presence of our Father. We see that already in our three examples, right? Abel, though dead, still speaks. How so? Revelation chapter 6 says that there are martyrs in heaven crying out to God. Abel, though dead, still speaks because he has life in the presence of the Father. Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. What was his reward? Life in the presence of the Father. Even Noah and his family, in an earthly way, received temporal life, which is a sign and a type of the life to come. Now, these men, either in type or reality, all received life. Each received a kind of resurrection. Abel, though dead, still speaks. Enoch was translated out of this life directly into the next. Noah and his family came through the floodwaters of death into the new life, into a new world. And yet, of course, each of those is just a picture, a picture of true resurrection life. Jesus died for sin and rose to newness of life. He now enjoys fullness of life at the Father's right hand. Hebrews 12, 2 will say that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He, too, kept his eye on the reward. We must do the same thing. Faith's orientation is upward and forward. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the unseen. Faith's action lives in light of those unseen realities. Living for God's glory, walking in God's presence, trusting in God's word. Faith's commendation is those words we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Faith's reward is the promise that it will all be worth it in the end. Yes, there is a hard struggle now. Yes, life sometimes feels like death. But though we die with Christ, yet we will live with Him. Keep your eye on the reward. The only way to persevere through trials is to keep your eye on the end. As Paul said in Romans 8, he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is ours in Christ. That is ours by faith. Right? Live in that hope. Keep your eye on that hope. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would strengthen our faith. Give us eyes to see the unseen. Help us to believe your promises and know that they are sure and trust that they are coming. And help us to hope in them as we look up to where Jesus is seated at your right hand and as we look forward to his return when he will come back and make all things new and we will enter into our rest. Father, keep our eyes there. Give us eyes to see. Open the eyes of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.